I V M. Welcome to All Things Policy, a daily podcast by the Takshashila Institution. We are a bunch of policy nerds based in Bengaluru, and we like bringing fresh perspectives to Indian affairs and Indian perspectives to global affairs. So grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and join us for today's chat. Hello, and welcome to All Things Policy. I'm Manoj Kewal Ramani, and today I have with me Pranay Kotasthane and Aditya Ramanathan. Uh, and we're going to be talking about a new research that they've published, which looks at uh, national security preparedness and planning from an Indian perspective in the face of the pandemic, in the face of the COVID-19 pandemic, which is going to be here with us for some time to come for the foreseeable future, unless we get a vaccine and we get everybody vaccinated. But, uh, and this sort of has created, I mean, the fact that the pandemic has, has existed has sort of hit our societies. It's created a set of threats and they've done a document which looks at what these threats are, which categorizes them, which does a risk assessment, and then proposes uh, some measures that India should be adopting in terms of its preparedness and planning uh, in the light of these threats. So I want to first get to you guys to talk to you about how have you sort of conceptualized this nature of threats that India faces? Because what we've seen in the last three, four months is we've, in the last week, we've seen this issue with China escalate into a different sort of level. And we've also seen sort of the migrant crisis and, you know, some sort of law and order issues. So how have you conceptualized Right. Uh, hi, Manoj. So it's quite pertinent that we are talking about this because we did mention in this paper about how there might be increased activity on LAC and LOC because of uh, countries trying to take advantage of the fact that we are busy with another national effort for quite some time. It's so actually the motivation came from the fact that Till now, the entire focus has been on economic risks and public health risks, right? Primarily public health risks, how do we get out of this pandemic? And then also the first order effects of because the economy has slowed down, what should we do to revive it? But beyond these two domains, what you will realize is that there's another sector where COVID-19 can have significant implications and that is national security. Because there are sort of both first order and second order, third order effects. So look at the the first order effect. For example, the direct effect you can see is that there might be absentism in police or there might be loss of morale because they are at the front line of managing all this apart from what they were already doing uh, before the pandemic, right? So that's a first order effect. We might they have national security risks because of loss of morale or absentism in police and uh, other CAPFs or uh, other forces. And then also there are second order effects. For example, COVID-19 lockdowns, and we are probably imagining there might be multiple lockdowns. So these lockdowns might lead to loss of jobs and that loss of jobs might actually then lead to increase in crime or organized crime, lots of other things happening, which will again pose a significant national security risk. So that's why we thought it makes sense for us to look at specifically what are the risks generated in the national security area and what can we do to prepare better and how do we counter some of the threats that have already emerged. All right. Uh, Aditya, I want to come to you because uh, in your document, you've created a framework to assess uh, a different different sets of risk, right? So there are high impact threats, there are low impact threats, there are high likelihood threats, low likelihood threats. I want you to sort of walk us through the framework of how do we conceptualize, uh, let's say from, uh, firstly from 
an internal law and order perspective, what is a high impact threat? Uh, and then we'll look at the external dimension. Sure. Uh, I'll just step back for a second and also just uh, say that uh, this document is, like Pranay said, it's looking broadly at national security management and it's doing so over about a three-year period because we don't assume that this pandemic is suddenly going to end all of a sudden. So even if, you know, the most optimistic scenario, we get a vaccine quickly, getting that vaccine to enough people, returning to normal is, is a long process for a country like India. The other thing I'll just add is that uh, there are a lot of scholars today who have a much more expansive uh, definition of, of security and what you know they, what they call non-traditional security threats and challenges. Uh, I don't necessarily dispute that, but for the purposes of this uh, document, we have focused on a fairly traditional idea of what constitutes national security. So, like you were talking about law enforcement. Our basic idea is that these are events that directly affect the ability of the state to exercise monopoly power over the legitimate use of force. So very, very uh, traditional definition. This is to keep focus on some key issues. Now, uh, as far as uh, what is a high impact threat, uh, I think I, I basically actually defined it right now. It's basically anything that affects the ability of the state uh, to exercise its monopoly of force to to ensure that that uh, broad, broadly law and order is followed. And there are some key risks that we do identify that are high impact and high likelihood. And uh, when we say high likelihood, we mean that these are actually especially likely to occur during this uh, period of time, during the pandemic. So one is actually simply communal violence. So, so violence against disadvantaged sections. The other is, uh, as uh, Pranay touched upon, absenteeism or loss of morale in uh, police forces. The third is actually uh, misinformation, uh, basically. So, you know, pandemic like this both heightens anxieties as well as uh, creates new sources of information, uh, which, are, which are often not correct. And so, you know, this can lead to, for instance, misinformation on food shortages, can basically lead to large gatherings, can lead, lead to unrest. We have already seen some hints of this sometimes in our cities uh, during the lockdown. So uh, broadly, these would be the high impact, high uh, likelihood uh, risks that we see. There are also less likely uh, risks. For example, we could just have large gatherings for some other reason that violate lockdown orders. We could also uh, have, uh, you know, as you know, we, we, we do see that police forces especially are vulnerable to spread of infection. For example, we've seen this a lot, especially in, in Mumbai. Police personnel are not just, they don't just interact heavily with the general population. A lot of them, especially those uh, in central armed police forces, live in communal spaces that are basically the perfect breeding ground for COVID-19. Uh, you know, so those communal shared spaces are actually by themselves a big risk. And one consequence of this uh, is simply that if people suspect that uh, the people in uniform uh, are infected, uh, they may not cooperate with them. Uh, law enforcement may simply become harder. The police may actually end up see being seen as a threat rather than a help. Uh, so yeah, those would be broadly the high impact risks that we see uh, strictly from law and order. It's interesting. Uh, I mean, I was going through the document and I was looking at uh, the external dimension, sort of the national threats that you've spoken about. And the structure that you outlined is precisely the same, that where, you know, high impact threats are ones which uh, affect the ability of the state to exercise monopoly over the legitimate use of force. Um, what I found really interested in the two by two that you have put together in the boxes is that uh, you've got a high likelihood and high impact threat of land grab by China and of Pakistan and the yeah. standoff between the troops. And that's what we are seeing sort of play out. 
cloud uh, currently right now. No, I just want to add that we didn't get wise after the fact. We put that in long before this crisis. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, but there's also sort of very uh, other uh, interesting components. So in that box of uh, high likelihood and high impact, you've also got uh, an economic downturn in the Gulf, which forces in, uh, Indians to return. That's already sort of happened in some measure. There could be much more of this. And there's also the threat of sort of... Uh, fake messaging uh, by external actors. Could you sort of expand a little bit on some of these uh, within uh, this high impact and high likelihood region? You know, as far as uh, that land grab by China uh, and or Pakistan, you know, uh, in the case of Pakistan, it's, you know, tensions with Pakistan is basically just another Tuesday. So I don't think there's much to explain there. In terms of China, uh, you know, there is, there was among, especially among Specialists who people who really understand China better than I do, uh, you know, there's this impression that China would be stupid to go and get involved in this in a sort of scrape like this with India because it has enough on its plate, uh, especially with the United States. But uh, our instinct and, you know, from our discussions with uh, other people at Takshashila, we got the sense that this was still a high likelihood threat. If I was to summarize it very simply, our thinking was simply that this isn't Hu Jintao's China anymore. This is a different kind and of China. And I guess there is also a temporal element involved, right? Because China uh, emerged out of this situation earlier than some other countries. Now there is again some spread in Beijing, etc. But so we thought that they might use that situation and especially what they're doing in South China Sea, etc. in other areas as well. Exactly. Uh, you know, there are a lot of people who say China is trying to divert attention from COVID-19. That's probably not true. The China is just taking advantage of the fact that other countries are preoccupied with it. The other is, of course, uh, Manoj, like you pointed out, uh, the Gulf region. The Gulf region is in some trouble. Two countries, especially Turkey and Iran, have been very badly hit. Turkey has managed to, in a sense, flatten the curve. Iran is uh, still struggling with COVID-19. Uh, some of the other countries in the Gulf are... Uh, are really at the beginning of this crisis. And, uh, you know, places like Yemen, which have been struck by civil war, which don't have, uh, you know, any health infrastructure, it's going to get really bad. Now, what does this mean for the Indians living over there? You've already seen, for instance, Indian uh, migrants, Indian expats who, for instance, work in construction, have been especially susceptible uh, to infection for the same reason that we fear, for instance, police forces will be uh, susceptible over here because they're living in these communal spaces. And what's going to happen is that, a lot of people are going to have to return to India because there's a huge downturn in those countries. Why will there be a big downturn in the Gulf? Quite simply because oil prices are really low and we're not likely to see, you know, a huge spike in those oil prices. A lot of these countries are going to still struggle to balance their budgets. Uh, new projects are unlikely to be sanctioned anytime soon, given the pandemic. We are probably going to see a lot more Indians return and, uh, you know, we'll have to figure out how to get them back safely. Now, this is actually the more benign part. The scarier scenario is, is that you actually have political unrest. You actually have uh, uh, violence, organized violence somewhere, and uh, you really need to get those Indians back in a hostile environment. You know, while that may be a, a less likely scenario, uh, that's also something that uh, we say that India should prepare for. As far as increased uh, infiltration across the line of control is concerned, uh, over here, we think that, uh, you know, this would be a perfect diversion for Pakistan, basically. And, you know, Pakistan is also seeing a steep rise in cases of COVID-19. And, uh, you know, that's not likely to end anytime soon. The other is, uh, you know, we talked about how there could be misinformation during this crisis. We'll also see a lot of very deliberate disinformation campaigns. This will be both from parties within this country as well as 
from outside. I mean, if you are uh, an adversary of India, this is a perfect opportunity to spread some chaos through fake messaging on social media, for example. Yeah, I think we've already sort of seen some of the stuff, although not necessarily at the scale that we potentially can, but we've already seen some of the stuff that's been playing out, uh, say, slightly different uh, with what's happening with regard to China, right? With regard to death toll, with regard to what happened in Galwan and all of that. And then you can also add something about COVID, right? So, you know, about the ability of the Indian state to uh, handle this current crisis and how well or how badly we're doing this. It's sort of ripe for some of these things. I want to get to sort of the next section because you do then go into each of these risks that you identify um, and you sort of look at uh, preparedness actions and countermeasures that we can take. I want you to first sort of tell me what is the conceptualization of preparedness actions and countermeasures? You've defined these differently. So let's just talk a little bit about what your definitions for these are. Yeah. So uh, we look at what what are the generators of risks. So, so, you know, there is a single development can generate multiple risks. So, for instance, if you are thinning out of state police forces, that can generate several risks. So you can have violence against uh, minorities. You can have violations of lockdown orders. You can have attacks on doctors. Then you think, well, how do you prepare for these risks? That's a preparedness action. It's basically how do you prepare for it? Uh, And, you know, these are basically proactive steps and they are meant to both reduce the likelihood of the risk materializing and also reduce its impact. So we talked about impact and uh, likelihood. It's there to reduce both of them. And then you have reactive countermeasures, which are obvious. You know, once something has happened, uh, how do you contain it? So, uh, you know, in terms of law, law and order, some of the big risks, some of the big generators of risks we see are, like I said, thinning down of state police forces because, you know, they're deployed all over the place to enforce lockdowns because their own people are infected. And this in turn, say, causes absenteeism. There's also, you know, problems, like I said, of misinformation, of uh, of basically political unrest, for example, amongst India's own neighbors. So one of the risks that we do identify as being uh, potentially high impact is that uh, if you see, if you have political instability in India's neighbors, you could see mass migrations into India. So for instance, if, you know, the pandemic continues to spread in those countries, you know, people at risk might just decide to go somewhere safer. Uh, You know, there might be breakdowns in law and order, uh, basically the same thing, th- yeah. same things that we fear in India. And so you could just have a lot of people uh, coming into India and we need to be prepared to deal with that. Uh, so that preparedness has to happen, you know, before the contingency happens. So we lay, lay down some, what, what are some of the actions that India can take? No, all right. So I'm, I mean, there's, there's a big list and I would rather people actually go and read the list uh, because you've given such detailed countermeasures and uh, preparedness actions that you've identified. And it'd be great if people can actually go and read the list uh, yeah. because there's too many of them to sort of run through within this podcast. But I wanted to get at the big picture. You, you spoke about how uh, you've looked at a period of three years and you've then subsequently looked at the set of actions that you need to take depending on the kind of developments and the risk that they eventually create. And you've created sort of a short-term plan, a medium-term plan, and a long-term plan, uh, which is your sort of overarching uh, approach to this. I want you to talk us through the three sort of sets, uh, and that will probably give people all the context and they can then go and read the details uh, within the document itself. So what's the short-term, medium-term, and long-term plans? Yeah. Uh, So, Manoj, before that, I thought we could just talk about a few interesting uh, and really big risks that we are uh, probably going to face. 
and sure. for example one big development which uh, aditya was mentioning was about uh, police and thinning out of state police right so a bit of a lot of preparedness action needs to go there because we already know what the state of our police forces is so we need to do things like you know supplement state police with probably capf personnel or home guards you know or standardize and issue a ppe kit for police personnel and one thing that we should be doing is that the testing rates for our police forces should be even higher than what we are doing for the normal population because they are really at the front line of a lot of these things and uh, along with the healthcare personnel police are also at the front line so if that is not adequate then we are going to have lot of other effects so for example if there is less police we'll have increase in other crimes as well and we'll not be able to enforce the lockdowns and other measures as well so that's like really a key pivotal point for preparedness and countermeasures that we need to focus on it requires a lot of state government uh, collaboration as well uh, the other thing uh, maybe uh, Uh, Aditya wants to talk to talk about this, but we want to think about raising an army of contact tracers under Ministry of Health and Family Welfare, you know, to aid both general population and police. That is also really a key thing which will help us uh, mitigate some of the risks that emanate. So th- these are some of the internal ones. Externally, I think a big uh, preparedness action that we've probably already. Uh, we are past that is this idea that we need to prepare for infiltration and things that are happening and even on the loc now currently we are seeing a lot of things happening on the lac but loc also we need to prepare for that you know s- uh, step up our intelligence efforts especially to also address problems like uh, the drug trafficking etc which might increase given that economy is down so a lot of activity will move underground and those things might increase so those are also uh, areas that we want to focus on aditya any other big ticket items that you want to mention yeah just on that uh, you know creating this sort of army of contact tracers you know this is very much a sort of non traditional security threat uh, you know creating basically this uh, whole group of people under ministry of uh, health who can uh, go out and actually find infected people potentially infected people help them figure out how to do quarantines uh, you know take people to hospital or for treatment if necessary and what we're saying is that this large group of people we should also be able to create uh, new groups of uh, people new little armies of contact tracers for example specifically to look at police forces so you would meet teams of both uh, police personnel and contact tracers going out trying to see uh, you know how you can contain an outbreak within for for example the crpf just as as an example uh, so you know you would not just look at their living spaces you would also go back and look at who's that shopkeeper they met go go to their family uh, you know see what you know see if people need to be tested if there are people who have symptoms uh, if there's somebody who's been exposed so that contact tracing especially for the police forces is uh, really important uh, they will also need to be tested at much higher rates if people are infected we, they will need to set up quarantine facilities is for them for other people you know if a living space is infected they will need to know how to very quickly disinfect it make alternate accommodations so and you'll have to do all this while still being an effective force so yeah. this you know this requires a, a new kind of thinking the other thing i'll add is uh, 
Similarly, you do have a risk uh, of sorts with the armed forces, with the military. Now, it's a, it's a lower order risk uh, because uh, they do not interact as much with the general population. But uh, when there is an infection, there can be a high impact. So this is especially so with the Navy. You know, we've already seen naval vessels in other countries uh, really being taken out of business because infection has spread on them. And uh, that risk does exist in India. Uh, though already, you know, a lot of precautions have been taken. People are being screened. They're being sequestered before they go on board. Uh, but this risk exists. And, uh, you know, the armed forces will have to be very vigilant of this, not just now or one month from now, but really over the next two to three years. All right. So let's now look at the big picture uh, idea. What is your sort of plan? You've, Like I said, you've proposed a plan of divided into three different phases. Can you sort of talk us through the plan that you've got? Sure. So basically, as we discussed, a lot of these risks and developments have a temporal element to it. So some of these will fructify really quickly. Uh, some of them might take some time to develop. So our risks, our, our preparedness and planning will also be different over time. So what we did is divided the measures that we should be taking into three broad uh, uh, time frames. So one is the short term plan, which we need to do immediately from zero to three months. So that includes things like focusing on domestic law enforcement, ensuring that, you know, various restrictions are observed, the risk that rise in small scale crime is mitigated. And uh, if and we should be really prepared for targeted violence against this disadvantaged sections because they might get labeled for the outbreak for one reason or the other. So those are the things that the police and our turn order forces need to be really focused on in the short term. Also, one big thing internally for the police forces, like we talked about, is increased testing rapidly in all our police forces as well. Now, coming to the medium term, which we define as three to six months, we need to look at mitigating some broader risks which are created by the pandemic. So this includes things like countering pervasive misinformation, either externally or which comes internally generated. Then also we need to ensure that CAPFs, the Central Armed Police Forces, retain their presence in critical parts in some of the insurgency affected areas, especially in the Northeast. So that needs to be a focus. And finally, in the long term, which we define as six to uh, three years from now, we need to really get prepared for a difficult domestic and international environment. Uh, We've outlined some of the domestic risks, which are really national security, not just uh, limited to economic or uh, public health risks. So we need to prepare for that increased vigilance along the LAC and LOC even prepare for a renewed international pressure which Beijing might apply at various multilateral fora. So that is an important point and we need to plan for evacuating Indians from abroad in case of repeated outbreaks, especially from West Asia. So a lot of capacity building needs to go there. And finally, armed forces need to be able to cope with the long-term impact of economic downturn. For example, it might affect our modernization plans, it might affect our pension uh, reimbursement things. So those are really big risks which might affect our monopoly or the legitimate use of force. So this is how we divide it. All right. Aditya, any thoughts? Yeah. uh, Just on the last point that Pranay made, uh, you know, while we have looked at only, say, a two to three year period, or say over the next maybe five years, uh, the economic downturn in India is going to have a huge impact on military budget. And, uh, you know, 
the ability to modernize our forces. Uh, so that will have a longer term impact on India well past the pandemic. And that is another thing that, uh, you know, I, of course, people in government are keenly aware of, but I hope that, you know, our broader citizenry is also aware that we are going to be in for some difficult times. And we need to think very carefully about uh, how we go about post-modernization in the next few years. All right. Uh, thank you so much, guys. This has been a fascinating conversation. There's so much ground that we've covered and there's so many areas to look at from this point of view of uh, national security. I think I'd sort of request people to actually go and read the document. There's lots of details in there uh, and we've just covered some of the bigger issues, but there are lots of details in there. Uh, thank you so much, Aditya. Thank you so much, uh, Pranay. Thank you, Manu. Thank you. If you liked our show, don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the IVM network. You can tune into them on the IVM Podcast app, ivmpodcast.com, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also follow IVM on social media. The handle is at IVM Podcasts on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And hey, if you'd like to dive into Takshashila's research on technology, strategy, and economic affairs, check us out at our Twitter handle at Takshashila INST or our website, takshashila.org.in.